push play. We're starting the sermon now. Um, there's a lot of people that don't want to come to church based on their experiences with people that say they're Christians. Would you agree? There's just a lot of people. I ain't coming to church because I see these Christians and they don't really look any different than me. So why bother? And I just feel that a lot of times people wear the name Christian and uh, we're doing a pretty bad representation of Jesus. Now I get it, we're not perfect. Uh, but when there's really no difference between someone who says they're a Christian and someone who doesn't, if you really can't tell the difference, uh, Mark Scott says the world is in crisis when they cannot see a difference between followers of Jesus and those who claim not to follow Jesus. And so the goal for our time together from now through Easter is we walk through this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We just need to be different. Jesus calls us to be different. And in chapter 6, he's going to say, there's some hypocrites out there that are doing some things for show. Don't be like them. You must be different. And so today we're going to look at this theme of how we can have a different influence, a different influence. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You can follow along uh, in your Bibles. It's also on page 786 in the Bible in front of you. But Jesus is going to use two pictures He's going to call us two things. He's going to call us salt and light. He's going to take these basic elements and say, this is who you are. And this is how you're going to influence the world with my kingdom mission. Salt and light. Pliny the Younger, I think he's the younger one, uh, this ancient historian guy that wrote in the first century AD, he says the two most important substances on planet earth are salt and and sunshine. Now that was in the ancient world, and I think Jesus knew the times pretty well, and that's why he calls us salt and light. So in our time together, we're just going to look at these two images of how we need to embrace our identity as people uh, that are like salt and light. Are you following me? Here we go. Let's read our Bible text today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. First image, we are salt. He calls us salt. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he, Jesus says, you are salt. Not you must be salt or you should be salt. He says, you are salt. What do you mean by this, Jesus? There's a lot of things he could be hinting at. So as you look through the Bible and just look at where salt has shown up, there's a handful of times. Early in the Old Testament, Leviticus, it says, when you have your grain offerings, God says, put some salt on it. I don't know. Maybe God likes salt. I'm not sure. Later in Job, it talks about flavoring some food with salt. Maybe so, okay? Jesus uh, talks about uh, salt here. Also in chapter 9 of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Mark 9, 50, it's a little similar to what we just read. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made, how can we make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Peace is my word for the year. So I like to see in that. Have salt among yourselves, be at peace with each other. 
I thought about asking if Mr. Salty could come to church today. I was this close. I really thought about inviting him to church, uh, but then I heard some of the kids are a little scared of him, so I didn't bring Mr. Salty. Uh, but we hear our girls, they cheer, they remind us to be salty, don't they? A little different context maybe, but maybe that helps you remember, okay, we are salt. What do you mean, Jesus? One way, now we can, we can go a lot of ways with this. At least one way in the ancient world salt was primarily used was to keep your food okay. There was no refrigerator. Whirlpool and Maytag had not come on the scene yet in the days of Jesus. And so you would rub your meat down with salt so it wouldn't go bad. So maybe that's one way. I think there's a lot of ways, but this is the angle I'm going with today, okay? And so here's the lesson. First, Jesus calls his followers to protect against decay. Think when Jesus says, you're the salt, we, we have a role to play of just protecting, to guard against the decay and rotten and blech of this world. Are you following me? And so as Jesus' followers, we are to display a holy life and say, okay, there's things in this world that are not good and not good for you, and we need to live in such a way that the world can see a difference. So we need to be, we're, as followers, the, the identity is that we protect against decay. What's that look like? Well, I think Michael did a great job last week of walking us through those Beatitudes chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. You want to look at what, what a salty follower of Jesus looks like? It looks like those Beatitudes. You're poor in spirit. You recognize that you're, you need God. You're in trouble without God. You are sad at times. You cry over sad things, and you cry, and you weep, and you mourn when death happens and when sin is happening, and you just you want to be salty, then you're going to cry at times. And you're going to be meek. That's that gentleness, that strength under control. You're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They say you can't make a, you can, uh, how's it go here? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can put salt in their oats. You follow me? You can put salt in their oats. Because if they eat those oats and that salt, what are you going to do? You're going to want to have some water. How hungry and thirsty are you for the things of God? Going to be salty? We need to put some things in our lives that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Merciful, salty followers are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And salty followers will be persecuted. Those are some descriptions of what it looks like to protect against decay. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, some translations would mean if it becomes defiled, maybe if the salt gets all dirty, you're not going to rub it on your meat. Maybe that's what's happening here. I'm not sure. There's a defile. There's some kind of uncleanness. There's something that's not, salt's not doing what it's supposed to do. So when salt loses its saltiness or becomes defiled, how can it be made salty again? It's kind of bad. You can't use it anymore. It says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I can see that that didn't catch your attention. Thrown out. When you read through this Sermon on the Mount, 
Are you going to find this word throw or thrown at least eight times? I was at Cash Gymnasium Friday night waiting for basketball games to start, and I just started reading through the, the Sermon on the Mount looking for throw. These chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that Jesus preached, at least eight different times Jesus talks about throwing things. He's throwing salt right now. Salt's going to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You go later, he's going to talk about throwing eyeballs. No joke. He says, your right eye caused you to sin. Pluck it out and throw it away. He says, it's better for you to enter heaven with one eye than to be thrown in, into the fires of hell. He says, your right hand caused you to stumble. What are you going to do? Cut it off and throw it away. Jesus, you are a weird preacher. Okay, so we're throwing eyeballs, we're throwing hands, we're throwing uh, salt out. Earlier it says if in chapter 5, verse 25, you better settle, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Work it out before you get to the judge because if you get to the judge, it may not go so well and the judge is going to hand you over to the officer and the officers are going to throw you into prison. So when you hear this idea of being thrown around, that's generally not a good thing. He goes on in chapter 6, verse 30. He's uh, talking about don't worry, God's going to take care of you, He's going to give you your clothes. Chapter 6, verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you? So we're throwing grass. He's going to talk about throwing pearls in chapter 6. Chapter 7, verse 6. He says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. Where do you throw the salt? What's going to happen? You're going to throw it out, and it's going to be trampled underfoot. They'll turn and tear you to pieces to talk about those pigs. And the final time that I found where it's talking about throwing something is chapter 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we're throwing things into prison. We've got eyeballs and hands flying around, talking about not getting thrown into hell, thrown into fire, thrown outside, trampled underfoot. This is scary stuff. And we have these beautiful beatitudes that start out in chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and happy and congratulations and good for you and good for you. And this sermon is going to get really hard before we finish. And it has one of the scariest verses in the Bible before we get through. So these are hard teachings that Jesus is going to give you. And he gives a strong warning. You better be salty because if not, Craig Keener says you're going to be worthless. So what's it look like to protect the mission of Jesus this week? Salty followers, we protect against decay. What are some ways that we can protect the mission of Jesus this week. What's that going to look like for you? Why don't you ask yourself that question? As a salty follower of Jesus, how do I protect against the moral decay around me? What's that look like for you? We'll go to chapter 5, verse 14, and we have our second image that Jesus helps us understand our identity. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
You are the light of the world. Again, not you should be, you must be, you can be. No, you are the light of the world. The cool thing about this that Jesus says, if you read John's gospel, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8, 12. So one of the ways that, that light can function is that it directs people out of darkness. Jesus calls his followers to direct people out of darkness. That's what light does. shows the way. Jesus is that light. He is the way. So as salt reminds us to protect against decay, the, the light can remind us to direct people on the right way. You are the light of the world. Salt of the earth some people think, well, that might have been the mission to, to the Jews, the people of the land, light of the world. This is the, the light to the, the Gentiles, the nations. Could be. A city or a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I wonder if Jesus had in mind his hometown, Nazareth. Had a chance to go there. It's up on a hill. I'd call it a mountain, to be honest. And Jesus preaches that first sermon there in that synagogue in Nazareth, and guess what they want to do? They want to run him out of town and throw him off the brow of the hill. So a town set on a hill cannot be hidden. Maybe he has Nazareth, his hometown, in mind. Good chance he has Jerusalem, the holy city, in mind. You, Any time you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. It is up on the mountain, Mount Zion. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Maybe Jesus had in mind Jerusalem. I had a picture of what this could look like last week. My daughter and I, Grace had the wonderful experience to go to France to visit our exchange student, Jade, last week for two weeks. Thankful for that opportunity. And uh, here's where we went to church this past Sunday. Last Sunday, that's where we went to church. A little different in Berlin. So this is in Paris, France, and this is the Basilica de Sacré-Cœur. I don't know if I pronounced that right. The Basilica of Sacred Heart. We talk about Sacred Heart around here, don't we? We have a pretty good football team, don't they? Okay, it's Catholic Church. Basilica of Sacred Heart. Built late 1700s, 1800s. Took 45 years to build this place on the site of the first martyrs in Paris, France, 3rd century AD. The first people who were killed for following Jesus in Paris. That's where this church was built, upon that site. You read about it, didn't we, in this sermon? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. On that site, they decided this would be a good place to build a church. There's also a sign that says, for 135 years, people have been praying day and night to Jesus. Pretty cool place. Something else that I noticed, as soon as we got off the little metro subway, uh, you look up this small little road, cobblestone, and this church is up on a hill. I mean, it's, you got to want to go to church that Sunday, because I'll be honest, there's a lot of steps to get to there. Hundreds, I have no idea how many. So many steps, they even have a big tram that, that takes you from the bottom all the way to the top. We're talking climbing, folks, to go to church. 
And I was reminded of the Psalm, Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may come to his presence, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24. So we go there and we have church and we're with Jade and her family and it's, it's Epiphany Sunday. And that's the Sunday where you celebrate the Magi coming to present their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to the baby Jesus, to, to the Christ child and his mother. And it's this theme, all the readings had this theme of Jesus is for the nations. The nations are coming, the nations. You know, we got these magi from the east representing people that are not like the Jewish people that are coming to worship Jesus, the nations. And the people that were presiding in the, the mass and the, the different priests and they're in their robes, there was just different ethnicities there. And I look around the congregation because it's a touristy spot. I mean, you go around and you look at the murals and the frescoes and the paintings and all the icons. I mean, there's just a lot going on there. And you sit down you look and there's just people from around the world at church that day and the the bulletin has qr codes if you want the mass in english or or spanish and different languages thankfully i mean they, they gave a little pdf file to help you understand what was going on i'm thankful for brother rick reading because it looked like a slice from revelation 7 before the throne of god are people from every tribe and nation and language and people why do I tell you all this? Well, it was a cool experience. But the coolest thing, not, not the murals and not the, the, the chapel ceiling and all that was beautiful. And uh, what, what touched my heart was when we left church that day. And this is what you see. And that picture doesn't do it justice. But you go out the front doors of the church and you're up on the hill and all of Paris, as far as you can see, is in front of you. The whole city. And if you bend around and you go around the corner a little bit past the trees, you can see the Eiffel Tower over there. But you just walk out and you're like, whoa, there's Paris, <laughs> all the whole city. And I just reminded of, my, of, my, of what we have on our, above our doors as you leave. You're now entering the mission field. And our view is just a parking lot and cornfields. <laughs> Which is okay because there's a harvest there if you have eyes to see it and think about it. But this day, you walk out of church and like, we got a job to do. There's a lot of people here in Paris that need to know the love of Jesus. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so you have this light on a hill that reminds you when you walk out of worship today, you've got a responsibility as people who are light to shine in the darkness. It's a reminder from, from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Here's what God says. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. As people of, as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to our identity as people of light. We are the light of the world City set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to let her shine. Okay, so don't put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Craig Keener says, A disciple whose life reveals none of the Father's work is like an invisible light for vision, useless. 
So we are called to shine our light to... And can I just tell you, you can just tell on a person's face if they love Jesus or not. There's just a happiness there. There's a joy. There's something deep and special. And I get it. We have bad days, and it's okay to be sad, but there's just a glow that a lot of Christ followers have because you realize that Jesus has saved me, and I've got the light of God's Spirit inside of me. And so he says, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I was reading this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And if you read through this sermon some more, you get to chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, same preacher, same sermon, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you've already received your reward in full. Well, which is it, Jesus? Am I supposed to let people see my good deeds so that they give glory to God, or am I supposed to hide all these righteous acts? What, it seems like you're telling me it's to two different things. The Bible's full of contradictions. There you go. What is it? Do I show these deeds or not? It's a tough question. I think the question is who's getting the glory? in chapter 6, he says they do it to be seen by others. Their motive is to make themselves look good. And so if you're getting the glory, you probably better put it away quietly. But if God's going to get the glory, then don't hide it. That's what Sky Jathani says in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious About These Sermon on the Mount Teachings. He says, if the act is for my benefit and will result in my glory, it should remain hidden if the act is for the benefit of others or for God's glory, we should not hide it. So the question we need to ask, much like we asked about the salt, who needs your light this week? Who needs your light? What darkness around you, around you needs the light of Jesus and his followers? Here's what I came back from France to tell you. Our good deeds on earth inspire others to glorify our Father in heaven. As I was reading through and studying this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But let your light shine so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Earth, world, heaven. It sounds like what we do here on earth matters, and it matters to God, and that the things that we do, the people that we are because of what Jesus has done, can bring glory to God in heaven, that we can have eternal impact by living the lives that God has called us to be, people of salt and light. So don't think for a second that what you're doing as a follower of Jesus is wasting your time. It can inspire others to give God glory, our Father in heaven. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he emphasizes it this way. The glory of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, and though it may hate her at first... We've got to be different. There's got to be something that shows us that we are different than those who do not claim the name Jesus.
It's kind of like when you go into a dark room and someone's sleeping and you flip on the light. What do they do? Ah! I did that yesterday to my sweet daughter. She had a late afternoon nap. I said, I'm leaving. Let's go. It took about 30 seconds or so for her to come to reality and have a knowledgeable conversation. At first, people hate the light. They're going to get upset with you. But when done with love and truth and grace, it will draw them to the truth and love of our Savior. There was another disciple there that day. And he wrote something about this as well. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. The apostle Peter, he says, he reminds us of our identity. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our good deeds on earth inspire others to glorify our Father in heaven. As we look back over these images of salt and light, Tom Wright shares, the remarkable things is that Jesus brought all of these into reality, into his own person. He was the salt of the earth. He was, is, the light of the world set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everybody, drawing people to worship His Father. My friends, I invite you to embrace your identity as salt and light in this world because our world desperately needs us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the message today. I want to pray that you would, in your Holy Spirit power, move and encourage, convict, inspire, fill us with your love and truth. Lord, go before us today to be people who are salt and light. We cannot do this on our own power. So we ask for your help. We love you, Jesus. Help us to speak your name over our families, our community, and this world for your glory, Heavenly Father. Amen.